Welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode of the podcast, we uh, we sort of stumbled across our topic accidentally as we were just shooting messages back and forth. Um, I don't know, as any of y'all who listen to every episode, well, uh, you know, you hobby or you're at work or whatever, one, we appreciate you. But two, you know that... John and I have been kind of looking around and playing and trying other games and minis from outside our normal sort of, I guess, comfort zone in the tabletop wargaming sphere, kind of broadening our horizons. And as we were doing that, um, we started to find that we were coming across a bunch of mechanics and opening our eyes to other mechanics that we might not have seen if you had only played Games Workshop stuff or any of the other big games. Um... And I was kind of kicking the idea around of what mechanics I enjoyed, and John was talking about what mechanics he enjoyed, so we thought, why not just put it on a recording? John, yeah, look, we're bad at a, that. <laughs> yeah, we're bad about talking for an hour before recording, and then like, like oh man, we should just record all that. Because um, this all started with us like talking about the Horse Heresy game, and like when it first got announced and there's some stuff came out, we were like, eh, whatever. And then I made the mistake of watching a video. That's a dangerous going, gamble, John. Right? And I went, oh, I missed 7th edition. <laughs> Which is a thing I never thought I'd say. Um, but I think I've had quite enough of the stratagem. Um, I so, have had enough of the stratagems. And I liked stratagems. And it, there's just, they've also made some changes that like are very, very good. And it reminded me of some stuff that we might have lost for the sake of modernizing i guess mm -hmm. some mechanics that you know i haven't seen in any of the big games uh, yeah and i think that talking about them explaining them and why they can be fun is probably a good thing and like if nothing else one it gives us a chance to talk about games that aren't the big ones and you know maybe get people interested in games that they might not have heard of or if nothing else just kind of put some ideas in your heads of mechanics that we might be able to get a hold of in the future depending on what games you want to play you know. And if you still want to just keep playing current editions of Games Workshop games, that's also great. Maybe you can take some of the rules we're talking about in here and use them to like make homebrew stuff or maybe some narrative game campaigns oh, yeah. or stuff. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite mechanics in particular, I'm not going to spoil it quite yet, uh, is perfect for a narrative campaign no matter what your game system is. Uh, so worth hearing the pitch. That's all I'm saying. But first, got to talk about hobby time and games played. John, what have you been up to? Well, as I patiently wait for Star Wars Legion things to arrive, I um, read a bunch of comic books. Like, just a ton of comic books. Uh -huh. And I built some more Seraphon. But, like, I love lizards. Don't get me wrong. love dinosaurs. But lately, I have been on, like, a 13-year-old like a boy drinking Mountain Dew reading comic book kick. I say, yeehaw, as I also take a sip of my Mountain Dew. Yeah, it's been it's been a treat. I have started like four or five different comic book series that like no one's probably ever heard of because I just found them at random like the comic book shop. Uh and I'm just like 
reading through them. Because, like, as an adult, like, that's, that's okay. So, like, as a middle schooler, I could just read through thousand-page, like, fantasy novels. Like, it was nothing. Like, I was just, like, bang, banging it out time and time again. But as an adult, you just think if I ain't that kick out that time. Yeah. So, like, it's kind of disheartening every once in a while where you're just like, I can't finish this book I want to finish. And I also have 80 of them HDs, so, like, it's impossible sometimes. But a comic book, like a like even a trade paperback, you can sit down and just read one in like twenty minutes. And be like, done. Yeah, they're in. What's next? I would call them imminently devourable. And that was yeah. always the problem, though. I remember being younger and like I couldn't really like buy comic books because you know money. Uh, so the only place I could get them was from the library, which is like a two mile walk from my house. And you read them so quickly that when I did go to the library, I'd have to get giant stacks of the uh, the trade paperbacks so that, I, you know, I had enough to read for a little bit and then lug them some bitches home with a full backpack and then more in my arms. Man. Now I'm just... convinced that our times in the library as children is why we make book doom piles. Oh, that I love we it. keep going, we're going to get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, 40 books deep. We'll get to that. <laughs> it's definitely comfortable. Although, I've been good. I am getting through my book doom piles. Much like my plastic shame doom piles. Um, I have been reading through them. Just, you know, I'm reading books in shorter increments now. Because, you know, I don't have 12 hours to read all of the X-Men Crystal of Shriar saga. But, you know, I could read like 25 pages at a sitting. And then get up and go mow or whatever I gotta do. I don't know, every once in a while, I like to just completely ruin my time and go, um, I'm going to try to go to bed at like 10 o'clock. I'm mm-hmm. going to like boot up my tablet to do some late night reading before falling asleep. And then read like 200 chapters of a manga and then go to sleep for like three hours and then go to work. And yeah. take like an energy drink on the way to work. That's... And I regret it in the morning after, but during, I have never felt more like a child. You just described me reading Berserk three weeks ago. Um, hey, oh. I am not quite to the betrayal yet. I'm rereading up to that point. Uh, and then I'm going to carry it further. But I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just going to read like one chapter before I close my eyes and go to bed. Two hours later. I was still reading. It's a problem. The messed up part is now you'll, but now with your new machine, you probably got more sleep then than you did like a year ago. I did. I still woke up feeling better than I did with nine hours of sleep before. So, you know, it was fine. Uh, I mean, other than the side effects of depression that come with reading Berserk, you know, it was fine other than that. That happens. That happens. You know, the usual. But I, I, I will count some comics as hobby progress. And build some lizards. All right. Like. I went to a hobby store, all right? I bought stuff for Star Wars uh-huh. Legion, okay? Uh-huh. Have I you like, built it? I bought... Uh, excuse you, they are hobby uh, game essentials, like tokens and stuff. Mm. So that when the Shadow Collective comes in, I can just build and paint them, sons of bitches, and immediately start playing them against droids and Wookiees. That sounds kind of awesome. I'm a little jealous. Yeah, I don't have what as many do? people to play uh, Legion against up here. Really you just, will. You're an hour away from me, champ. Just like me and my wife. Um, just like clones fighting rebels. It's a great time, I will say. Uh, just like the simulations. Just like the simulations. Yeah. It's a blast. 
but I'll count that. That counts. I mean, I similarly am also sitting here waiting on boxes of minis, so I have no room to talk. You know, logistics is what it is in the world. Nothing you could do about it. Yeah, and I'm going to, you know, plan my Dark Angels Horus Heresy army while I wait because I have a problem, and it is not solved by plastic, but it is in fact exacerbated by it. Yeah, that's true. And I may repeat that sentence in like two minutes. Man, that's a really hopeful estimation for how long I'll talk about hobby progress. I, I think it'll be way more than two minutes. Uh, for me, I've been doing some quite a bit of hobbying, actually. I don't know, my brain for some reason said like, you didn't do enough hobby. And then I looked at my paint desk and I'm like, wow, you're full of shit, brain. Um, <laughs> you're a dickhead. Like, <laughs> that's, you ain't got no room to say that. There's all sorts of stuff over there been worked on. Um, yeah, so. I painted all the colors of fucking rainbow, asshole. <laughs> I, I actually did do a lot of colorful stuff. I actually posted some of it on the Instagram. Um, in the past few weeks, I've been kind of gently stepping back into hobby with some Sylvaneth, and uh, I talked about it on the last episode, how I was going to try to finish up a Sylvaneth paint scheme that I was just sort of testing out and working my way through, and no ropes, no guidance, just me feeling it out, and, uh, I actually ended up with something I really liked. Uh, over the past week, I got the last bit done, which I wasn't sure how to proceed on. Uh, I ended, like, a lot of the Sylvaneth have, like, I don't, not ghosts, but like forest spirits and like spiritual energy weapons and stuff. Like they got a whole bunch of that like magical stuff going on, which is real cool. But it, I was kind of at, not sure how to paint it. Like I could just paint it all white and then hit it with a contrast and that looks fine. But it would look a little weird against a model that I've worked really hard to put like volumes in to look a little dramatic on the table. Uh, so what I instead decided to do was to like lay down a deep blue all over all the spiritual areas and then with some like real targeted, uh, deliberate, light, light blue highlights fading up to almost like a whitish highlight, uh, make the sort of areas of interest pop. And uh, I actually really like how they turned out. And uh, after I had figured that out, actually I was part of a hobby day. Uh, which actually ended up becoming like a two-day thing because I missed some of the first day, where all we did, a group of us, got together on Discord and watched Westerns and painted minis. That's it. Westerns. Westerns. Y'all. Westerns. And it was a friggin' blast. <laughs> um, I, like, set up my iPad on my paint desk and uh, someone just streamed the Western and we all watched it. Uh, and we got through a couple of them. We watched a uh, ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is probably my favorite Western. It's so good. If y'all haven't seen it, go watch it. It's like a bunch of little short stories. They're delightful. Some of them are heart wrenching. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, when I came back that evening, they were watching. It was a really long one. It was uh, Sinister Six, I think. I only caught the tail end of it and I tried not to pay attention because I didn't want to spoil it. it um, and then the next day we opened with Tombstone, a classic, uh, and then moved on to, we had like a little break and then popped on the quick and the dead, uh, which I had never seen before. Very, very good. Had a blast. It was super cheesy, but just the right amount of cheesy. Uh, and while doing that, I grabbed some more Sylvaneth and I would spent that whole time painting them up with 
to like match the test paint scheme to see how they look on some more models. So that's uh, three more Kurnoth Hunters and a big old Tree Lord Ancient, uh, each which are now roughly halfway through the process. Um, ended up looking pretty good. And while that was going, I also set up a 3D print for a uh, proxy for an Arch Revenant for Sylvaneth. Which for those out there who know the Sylvaneth line, it's the the elf with the really dramatic swoopy hair who like plays the flute. Like he, it's, a, it's a fine model. I'm not here to like poo-poo on anybody's like hot elf twink love. Like, okay, it's a thing. But it's not quite my thing. Like Sylvaneth have like two themes running through them. And half of it is like, ah, those are the horrors that come from the forest. And the other half is, ah, those are elf ghosts. And don't they look like fae? And for me, like, my heart just lies with the former. So uh, I went and found this print that I can only describe as forest abomination. That I don't quite know how to describe accurately. Like this big quadrupedal wood creature with like a shaggy mane of leaves and then a he wooden head of like these big gnarled moose-like runic antlers and then a like a deer skull face with the front of the snout broke off to be like two big fangs, huge cavernous eyes. It's so cool. Like it's just, it's so cool. And I printed that boy, bad boy up while I was painting all them Sylvaneth. It was a hell of a the hobby day. Um, and then in the rest of the week, I have been 3D printing like a fiend. Uh, our buddy Tanner, who's probably listening to the show right now, hey um, for a while has been wanting, he's like a hardcore orc player. And like that's his only AOS army. And he wanted to have another AOS army. And for a long time, he has wanted to do bony boys, but themed after Tomb Kings. And he found some 3D prints, and uh, I have spent uh, the past couple of days nonstop printing these bony boys to print him a full 2,000 point army before the end of the week. Yeah. And that's been fun, diving back into 3D printing hardcore and arranging all those prints, and then processing all of them. Currently, a proxy for Catacross is printing that is 11 and a half hours to print. Ooh, big boy he big he's real big uh sized appropriately just a lot going on there it got real tall the supports made it very tall just increase the print time um especially if you'd put it at, like in an angle i did put it at an angle and it's at 0.03 millimeter layer height ah so it's detailed you're not even like cutting corners and going to about 0.05 no i've printed his whole army in 0.03 whole thing uh Ooh -wee. yeah yeah I, I half-ass no things over here in this house, John. Um, so that's been a bunch of hobby. And then... Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was not two minutes later, but also uh, I made the mistake of looking at videos and Horace Heresy seems a little interesting. Uh, which is a problem. Now, I don't want to pay Horace Heresy prices, though. And as I said in just a moment ago, I have a 3D printer, so I've spent time... Uh, digitally kit bashing white scars to be able to make my own 3D prints to print like very cool looking white scars legionnaires and I'm gonna do some test prints of those and see how they look and how they print up and see if I'm maybe into Horus Heresy. Uh, you do not have to lie to the poor listeners, Joseph. 
you know that you hit that mailbox with your bike and as you slid across that fucking ground, you went, you know what? If I would have played White's cards, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> now, I hit the concrete so hard at 15 miles an hour that in the back of my head, my brain shorted out and all I heard was laughing at death and, uh, damn, I'm a white scar. Uh, so here we and are. And then, yeah, then you started driving and putzing around the neighborhood in that bike of yours and you went, you know, you know who else loves motorcycles? White scars. The con loves motorcycle. For the con. For the con! Yeah, uh, the white scars are just cool. Like, they're just really cool with the fluff and, uh, I don't know. I think they would be fun as a Horus Heresy Force. I think they play a little weird, and apparently they are very, very not top tier, which is perfect for me, so I don't have to feel like a bastard when I win. Yeah, you love being a dog. <laughs> I like how you say, when I win. Like, it took me a second <laughs> for that to register, where you're like, oh no, I'm gonna play a shit tier faction, but I'm still gonna win, though. <laughs> I am, and I won't have to feel bad. Uh, I'm gonna have to work at it, and it's gonna be really fun. It will be a passion army. Uh, and it also, and because I'm 3D printing the entire army, it also means I get to fix a fundamental problem I have with Horus Heresy models and one of the things that turned me off to the game. Um, we could do a whole podcast on the idea of, like, scaling of models and, like, aesthetic. And, like, for some people, the Horus Heresy marines that were older, like, uh, for everyone out there, those models were made in, like, the 90s modeling was very different then the styles were different then the technology was different then everything was different then but they are scaled in a way that like their legs are really short their arms are like kind of long their torsos are tiny and their heads are huge and for some people that's kind of fun having like these little squatty short marine but i'm just not a fan uh that's one of the things I liked about Primaris. If nothing else, like I know a lot of people talk about the Lord stuff, which I think is fine. But really what they do for me is they create a like true scale version of a Marine on the tabletop. That's like taller and the limbs are more proportionate and just looks better for me. And I could just fix all of that if I'm 3D printing them. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, I cannot print it until I'm done with Tanner's big ass catacrys, but... You can bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow, when I pull that catacrys on off that plate after work, uh, White Scar's getting started. Damn, that's a lot of hobby time. My brain lied to me. Yeah, two minutes my ass. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's 20 minutes. We haven't even started the topic. Oh, God, Seth, play the music. Woo! All right, John. We're, t- we're chatty today. It's a problem. I'm sorry, listeners. Ayo. Not getting to the point ever. <laughs> so I think the thing I want to start this discussion off with to talk about mechanics is that Wargaming is a really big space. Uh, not just like in terms of games, but also in terms of a diversity of ideas. Uh, there are tons of different games, different settings themes sizes uh model types developers team sizes funding etc and i think what makes that really interesting is that with all of those different ideas in the pool you're going to get some ideas that are very different from one another and maybe the dv uh, maybe that deviate intentionally from what's sort of mainstream 
not only that, but like Games Workshop's been around since the 80s. There's been a lot of iteration with the rule set and the setting. So like, there's a lot of mechanics that got thrown in the trash, stuff that just they stopped doing. Some for better, some for worse. Um, we'll talk about a couple of different ones from both Games Workshop and not Games Workshop in the episode. So a little bit of everything for everyone. Yeah. Um, as we said earlier, John and I have kind of widened our horizons. And with that comes some investigation of other games that I think, especially for me, some of the ones that are smaller seem to just be less rooted in older game design ideas and maybe just willing to kind of throw something weird out there that, for me at least, some of them I really ended up liking. So, John, I'll start first. For me, the number one mechanic that I absolutely adore, that I just, that I have come to love wholeheartedly, and it's so much so that it is almost jarring to go back to games where it's not the case. But I've played a couple of games like Malifaux and uh, Star Wars Legion where it is entirely alternating activations. And I cannot tell you how much more fun that is for me to play regardless of the system. Like, I just love it as a mechanic. I think when you play an alternating activation system, what that means is let's say John and I are playing. If in many games, it is a situation where, all right, it's my turn. I'm going to do all of my stuff in one go. You know, I'm going to do my movement. I'm going to do my special magic stuff. I'm going to do my shooty stuff. I'm going to do my charging stuff. And then after I have all of my go, John gets to go. And I sit here waiting. While John does all of his movement and all of his magic and all of his abilities and all of his shooting and all of his charging. And instead, in an alternating activation game, it is back and forth. I move something and then John moves something. I move something else, John moves something else. I move something else, John moves something else until everything is moved. And then the same thing starts again if we go into, you know, let's do magic. John does some magic, I do magic. John does magic, I do magic. John does magic, I do magic. Same thing for shooting. He shoots, I shoot. He shoots, I shoot. He shoots, I shoot. Until everything shoots. And then, same thing, like charges and combat, always back and forth. I don't know, like, John, when I feel that, when I play those games, I feel like I'm just more involved at all times. Whereas yeah, sometimes like, with, like, hard... I'll call it like a hard activation system. I sometimes feel like I might as well not be at the table for certain periods of the game. Yeah. And there's some games where you um, don't even alternate between in, in phases. Sometimes you do everything for that unit in an activation. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I think it was Warm Hordes that had it where like when you used a point, like a, man, a command point or something like that to activate a unit, like a war beast, you could then move. There wasn't really shooting, but if you could shoot, there was shooting. You could move, shoot, charge, and fight. And then your opponent picked a, a war beast to move, charge, shoot, fight, go. Yeah, uh, Legion's that same way. Like, you pick a unit and it does everything. Yeah. Which I also think is interesting. And there's a, there's a big difference between that and I move, you move, I shoot, you shoot, back and forth. I think that adds a lot of granularity, which is very cool. But I think that more of a, I pick a unit, it does everything it's supposed to do. Onward to the next one. Mm -hmm. Well, on is a little bit more streamlined. 
Yeah. Yeah, I just, I like the idea that we're kind of, it feels almost like we're dueling back and forth. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I throw a thrust, you parry it. Okay, repost. All right, you cross slash. All right, I'm blocking. We're back and forth rather than sometimes when I play a game that's hard activation, I look at my turn and go, oh God, you're going to lose and there's nothing you get to do to interact with it. <laughs> yeah, it feels more like playing flesh and blood than it does playing like a six person commander game. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's much more interactive by design and I just like that feel. It's something that I don't think every game necessarily needs to do it, but when I do play a game that doesn't have it, it I miss it. It's in the back of my head. And I'm glad I, you know, played some other games to be able to like have that experience. So John, what about you? What's your first one? My first one. Mhm. Is shooting templates, template weapons, yada yada. Ah, uh, dinner or plates on the table. Dinner plates, yes. Pie plates, even. Okay. They were a thing in 7th edition and 6th edition and lots of editions of 40k for a long time. And they went away in 8th edition. There's a lot of reasons they went away. Uh, there are people who were like, oh, well, it takes too much time. And it does take a little bit of time. Uh, they created arguments, which I argue with on premise. Haha. <laughs> Uh, but what they are, are they? it is a big plastic plate that you would put over a model in a unit, or like a tank or something. And then you would roll like 2d6 and a scattered eye, which had different directions on it, or a bullseye. And if you got a bullseye, you would hit that spot that you chose, and for every model underneath that pie plate, it took a wound. So it's sort of trying to simulate a... A big explosive weapon of some sort, like a mortar no, or, or, or like artillery. A yeah. Like grenades could do it too, like frag <clears throat> grenades and stuff. Big ordnance that go boom. And then if you didn't roll a bullseye, you would go whatever direction it said that many inches minus your ballistic skill. So if you had a ballistic skill of four and you rolled a seven, you would go three inches to say northeast. And then they would hit every model underneath the plate where it lands. So that included friendly models. So you could accidentally shoot your own guys if you messed up real big. I mean, that's why you don't shoot artillery danger close. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it was a very fun mechanic. It was very interesting. It required you to like deploy differently, move differently, play differently, play a little risky sometimes, a little not risky. Um, it allowed you to sometimes kill dudes that were in combat. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Which was a lot of fun. And it was just, in general, really cool. And it also allowed for like some fun alterations onto weapon types. Like, I think the Hydra for Imperial Guard could flip the plates. So you would pick a location, and from wherever it landed, it would then flip from where it's at to the right, to the left, or up, or down for its next huh. shot. And then it would have to pick another spot to flip to. Interesting. Yeah. And so you ended up making this like big radius area of things that's hitting and it would hit those things a number of times. They were very good. It was very good. It was very fun. I thoroughly miss it. And it was one of those things where when I saw it in Horse Heresy, I went, oh, I missed that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I miss shooting for, you know, frag 
rocket launchers at a squad of like cultists and watching them just explode into pieces because I hit them 47 times somehow. Like, <laughs> ha ha, traitor scum. Yeah, uh, I only used pie plates once, I think one time. Um, it was my learner game when I was first introduced to the idea of 40k. Uh, at the time, the 40k edition that was out was 7th. Uh, and the, the demo game that the store put on was 7th edition, so I had to use pie plates. Um, a little weird to get your head around, but I'm not against them. As, like, as a concept, I actually like the idea of a pie plate for artillery. It's just, like, how complicated are the rules around them for resolving them? Uh, and if not too bad, could be fun. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, at least in my previous experience... It was a good barometer for, is this a casual fun game, or is someone kind of breaking the social contract and, and playing what it all costs here? Because mm -hmm. if I was playing with somebody, and I was like, hey, I'm putting the pie plate here, and they would hold it for me over the unit, like over the model, and then I would roll the dice, and then they would go. I would then take the tape measure out and move it, and then they would move it for me, or vice versa, or whatever. But we would work together to figure out and resolve, okay, how many hits is this? And then we would... They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll give that one to you. Like, that's close enough. Yeah, it's just his toe, but, like, whatever. I don't, like, it's not that big of a deal. It's an explosion. It hits. Like, it, yeah, it's an explosion. And, like, that made it go faster, and it really wasn't a big deal. Because, like, uh, when I was playing with Seth way back in the day in our apartment, I could literally be like, there, roll, and he would move it, and he'd be like, you got six dudes under the plate. And we could just go, okay. Six move dice. It on. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't a big deal at all. But I can see where when you're like in a competitive environment, like at a tournament, there might be a couple of people who are like, mm, yeah, you didn't get those two extra hits, bud. No, like I, I can see their whole shoulder pad underneath it. Mm, we should call the judge. That's where I could see it getting grading. Um, luckily, I don't play with people like that. Yeah. So I'm just going to have a blast with it. Ha ha. Ha ha. Damn it. <laughs> We did the same chuckle at the same time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn you. Uh, direct hit. No scatter needed. Um, let's see. For me, I'm going to save what I think is like my most cheeky fun one. Not necessarily like my big favorite mechanic, but my most fun mechanic for last. But second, another mechanic that I had never seen before in a uh, tabletop war game until a very particular game was uh, the Game of Thrones uh, Song of Ice and Fire miniature war game. God, that name sucks. Um, but like the Game of Thrones tabletop war game. Okay. You set up this battlefield and you have guys in like rank and flank units, much like you would expect to see in the show. And you move these like groups of guys around the board and these armies are fighting one another and they're in battle and you're making attack rolls and defense rolls and you're killing each other on the field. You got your heroes, you got some monsters, some shooting. It's very cool. But what I think is very interesting and that I haven't seen done in another sort of game was in addition to the war that you have going on in the battlefield off to the side and like a little sideboard you have non-combat characters that you put into your list just like you would a big murder person. But they don't step foot on the battlefield. They might be courtiers or politicians or honor guard or people who are connected socially or politically. 
and you make moves with them on a sort of sideboard that represents them leveraging and politicking for different benefits for your army in court. So they are like politically scheming to get things done. And then whatever they scheme for gives you benefits on the battlefield. So for example, if your uh, person is politicking and they start trying to get you medical supplies for the battle, you get to heal wounds on the board because your guys have material to pick up fallen soldiers. Uh, whereas if you're trying to go for like more coin, you might have more resources, stuff like that. And you get to choose each turn what they're sort of pushing for, depending on what you need in that moment. And the idea of tying political logistics to warfare on a tabletop war game is so cool. Like, it's a nerdy thing, but like, we've all heard it. Like, logistics wins wars. It's just, it is what it is. And then in, in a thing called tabletop war gaming, I'm shocked that we have not done like a little logistics game with a war before. And I, it's so cheeky and it's so fun and I adore it. I, uh, I'm forklift certified, so I feel like I got an edge on you there, Joseph. <laughs> you might. You might. Uh, I work in logistics. What do you do? You work for Duke Energy. What are you, infrastructure? Y you know, power. It's fine. It's whatever. Just keeping lights on. It's no big deal. Um, you can take out the Duke part, Seth. Continue, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna say, you dickhead. Um, <laughs> I forgot we were recording. <laughs> you fucker. Um, but yeah, like the only other place I've seen that is when I played a card game called The Legend of the Five Rings trading card game where they had a similar thing where you could politically position yourself and go for different uh, victory tokens that would give you different effects for your hand. But, you know, the... A Song of Ice and Fire is just doing similar things, but for a war game. And uh, I would Brief love to see that in other games. Brief tangent, Joseph. Yes. Why do we not have a Legend of the Five Rings war, war gaming? I do not know. Like, we were talking Name? about that episode idea where, like, what games should have tabletop war games that don't. And that's one of my picks. I have no idea why this doesn't exist. All right, y'all. Sorry, game. Sorry, like people out in listener land, you're in for a tangent. Strap in. So for people... Hey, oh, we got 80 of them. <laughs> 80 of them HDs, and we're ready to go. So for people who are not familiar, Legend of the Five Rings is a tabletop uh, RPG. Yeah, it's a tabletop RPG setting set around the idea of Samurai, uh, where it's set in a mystical setting in a sort of pseudo-Japan-like uh, environment during, I believe, the Edo period. Uh, someone's going to be like, um, actually, like, yeah, I know, probably wrong. But, you know, it's samurai and court politics and all sorts of cool stuff happening. And magic and monsters exist, but in very different ways and in different levels, depending on where you're at in the Empire. And the idea is that, you know, you have the Empire... Sort of like Japan. We're going to call it, it's called Rokugan, but we're going to call it Not Japan. And on the border of Not Japan, at the south are what's called the Shadowlands, where everything south of there is just blighted. It's full of oni and demons and horrible spirits that are coming to try to pillage the empire. And then you have a big wall that is manned by a clan called the Crab Clan. And Crab Clan is best clan. I will not be taking any questions. It's just the truth. And then... As you move north, you have different great clans of samurai that have different specialty. 
And with each, each different specialty, each one also has courtiers that go politicking in court to get support, but they do it in different ways. And, uh, like, John, I just want you to close your eyes and picture what that war game would look like. Like, you have, like, your squad of Bushi on the battlefield and, like, your Oni hunters with their big Tetsubos and their giant armor and then your Phoenix Sage who is, like, spell-slinging from behind them. Off to the side, you have a unit of courtiers that are on a political board, like, at court politicking rather than actually on the table. And then maybe, like, a spirit that you could summon to the battlefield, depending on your clan, to help you against other bad monsters. You could have different models for each clan. Or maybe sort of like a horse heresy sort of deal, where you have, like, a general pool that everyone can pull from, but with some special models for each clan. And then another faction entirely that is, like, the bad stuff. You know, all the dark spirits and whatnot. Ugh, oh, I want that. I do, too. Like, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I would buy it up like fucking hotcakes. I'd, I'd play Crab Clan until my eyes bled. Just would. Listen, like, there's a lot of problems with the movie The Last Samurai. But, like, we would watch it and immediately play the shit out of this game together. Unironically, manly weep and then play yes. a game. Yes. Yeah, uh, and that this rant has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I just got, like, six Legend of the Five Rings novels at a half-price bookstore that were all together somehow. No one bought them. I have no idea how they got in this half-price used bookstore, but they were. And I bought all six of them, some bitches. Super excited. Okay, maybe it has a little to do with that. But anywho, I think politics, mechanics, has a place in wargaming. That's all I'm saying. And Legend of the Five Rings, holla at you boys. You need a war game. Like, you just, you just do. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. Yeah, We'll promo it, I guess. I don't know. I just want to play it. <laughs> Please, <laughs> let me play it. I don't, give, I don't give a fuck if it's free or not. I'll give you hundreds of dollars. You drop that game around the next Ghost of Tsushima release and it will sell like hotcakes. <laughs> Come on. The, it's right there. It's, the marketing's right there. Oh, God. John, you know how many anime conventions you can sell this shit at? There's like, so many weebs that would play the shit out of it. God. Ugh. John, what's your second thing? All right, my second thing. It's going to be uh, over here crying about what could have been. It's way... It's, it's, we could have been a Legend w- of the Five Rings channel. It's way, <laughs> way, way less interesting than Samurai. Everything's less interesting than Samurai. It's... Uh... <laughs> I wish this was a pre-rehearsed bit. It's just... Uh... <laughs> Y'all, we just, I'd really like a Tetsubo, please. Uh, I just think my next LARP character gonna have a Tetsubo. I'm gonna whack nerds and this would be great. Uh, <laughs> I just like samurai <laughs> and spooky ghosts. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, the, the next thing for me is facing, right? Like, it is, whether it's unit facing when moving, like in a rank and flank game, mm-hmm. or like a weapon hole facing for like where a weapon is sitting on a vehicle. That one I like. Uh, I, I'm a second that one. Because it has always felt a little weird to me in like 40k, for instance, if my, I don't know, my tank, the tip of my front left track could just barely peek around a building and now I shoot you with everything. It just makes my brain vibrate a little. It just feels yeah, weird. It, it feels weird. 
like I know like true line of sight is hard to balance and attain in a tabletop war game. That being said, I liked when I had to position my land raider in a way where I could shoot all its guns. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. And I actually really I like the way Star Wars Legion handles that is like for models that it, it matters. They just have it separated by quarter. Like you have, like if you picture a circular base, it is split up into four quarters and those are just your firing arcs. You could draw a line off of each of those little quarters and ba-boom, you know if you're in or not. I think that's actually a really nice way to do it without getting too granular. I also think it adds like a, an actual benefit to turret weapons. Because um, mm-hmm. then turrets have a wider like range of fire, which yeah. is very important. It definitely uh, in Legion gives a, like, it makes a speeders a more interesting choice. Because, like, well, yes, they can bring, like, big shoot-shoot for some of them. You then have to worry about this thing that has firing arcs that are not kind to you, depending on your setup, and is combined with a unit that has a compulsory must-move. It's fun. It represents exactly what I would expect to happen from watching the shows and movies and stuff. And I think it also provides a lot, of, a lot of opportunity for your opponent to outplay you or for you to outplay your opponent via positioning, um, which I feel like is still a thing in modern like AOS and modern 40K. But I think it's less often the case. And I understand we're like for newer folks, it feels bad to be outmaneuvered. But I think those are learning lessons mm-hmm. for newer folks. And I think that when they fight, like, I remember the first time I outmaneuvered someone in a 40k game to get in a, like, kind of risky charge onto the back of their tank they couldn't shoot me with to then blow it up. Yeah. It felt so good. It was just that moment of, clever girl. Yeah, like, it felt amazing. Whereas if I would have charged it head on, it would have obliterated my troops. Because that's what happens when you run into turrets. It feels appropriate to me. I'm here for it. And uh, it was a great time. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier during Hobby Progress, but that's one of the things that got has me so jazzed about Horus Heresy. This and Pipelates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about Horus Heresy a bunch. But, like, I liked some of that crunchier rule where you had to stop and think for a second, but it wasn't... Once you learned it, it became second nature as a thing, you, a variable you think about in the game. Um, which I think is... It adds more fun to the game. And much like the last rule, it's not... Yeah, sometimes you might struggle with like, okay, I'm slightly over, pull out the laser pointer kind of thing. But most opponents are going to be like, no, that makes sense for my tank to be able to see that. Mm-hmm. Or like we've talked about before, playing with intention. Like if your opponent's intention was to be outside your firing arc and he's just like the smallest of millimeter over... Like, just be like, all right, I'm not going to shoot him. But yeah. it's okay. It's fine. It's a ga- it's an imprecise game we're playing here. We're trying to have a good time. Yeah. Um, and I think rules like that are a good, like, way of teaching that mindset of, like, playing with intention, playing with the mindfulness of your opponent, and, like, playing to have a good time. Because the more rules that exist that you can kind of, like, fudge a little the more likely you are to just kind of like cut up and have a good time. Because it kind of softly tells your opponent, oh, this guy's not an asshole. 
Mm-hmm. He's just wanting to have a good time with plastic toys. I'd call it a, you know, it's like a green light if you're playing with someone and it happens. You're like, oh, okay, I can let my guard down. We're having a good time. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool, cool. I might have a beer with this guy later. We might go get a pizza. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, help, might play a second game after this one's done. That's nice. And I Get think my wife off. on the phone. I ain't coming home tonight. I'm playing <laughs> Horse Heresy with Tim. We're going to, Tim and I are going to play till 4 a.m. It's going to be great. Next, we're going to play Legend of the Five Rings car game. <laughs> wow, Samurai! <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> this is no longer a wargaming channel. This is a Legend of the Five Rings appreciation channel. I love uh, it. It's such a cool, cool realm, and no one knows what it is other than me. And even if I tried to like go ahead and run a tabletop game of it for people around me, it's a very not D&D game, so I think it would struggle to even find a party to be interested. It's just a cry and shame. That's kind of like me with Zoyhander. Like, I... <laughs> I really like Zoyhander. I got like one dude I know who'd play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem, man. Like, it's a real problem. It's okay, Joe. We just got to retire eventually. Or whenever the planet's on fire and we all have to live in the same commune. Like, we just won't have jobs anymore. We'll just play these obscure tabletop RPGs with each other. <laughs> We're each super mutants living under the ground. We'll make Mark our Rapplin own Samurai gonna do politic. <laughs> I'm a crane clad bootier. Like, just... All right. But I have a reason for bringing up the Legend of the Five Rings again, all right? It's because when you were talking about it earlier, like, this theoretical Legend of the Five Rings tabletop RPG, how cool would it be if you could just, like, occasionally the warf- warfare attracts some of those spirits you were talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Oni? Yeah, who come in and start fighting? That's my number three. Like, one of the cheekiest rules that I love. Uh, and it... I found it from a game called Silver Bayonet. It's a little, like, indie skirmish war game. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. Um, the book's not expensive. Pick it up. It's miniatures agnostic. You don't have to buy branded yeah. miniatures. You can use the ones you have. Any minis you want, just throw them on the table. Uh, super cool. The pitch for Silver Bayonet is that you play in, uh, I think it's the 18th, no, no, early 19th century, I believe. So, like, musket times for people out there who aren't nerds. And you have people who are muskets, and they have, like, silver bayonets. And the reason they have silver bayonets is because monsters exist in this world. Uh, You know, werewolves, vampires, ghouls, demons, ghosts. Every bad, bump-in-the-dark thing you think of exists in this world. And governments know it exists. And because of that, they have assembled elite teams of soldiers who have been trained to hunt monsters. And as a sign that they have graduated and they are the best of the best, they are given a silver bayonet. It is a symbol of your, you know, elite monster hunting ability. And you assemble a little team of like five to seven hunters from a diff- from one of like a list of countries you get to choose. And then you go out onto a little skirmish battlefield to find a monster. But here's the kicker. You are not the only team of monster hunters on that battlefield. Across the board is another person who is also playing a team of their own monster hunters. And both of you are there to kill each other so that you could kill the monster. 
And it's very Hunt Showdown if y'all play Hunt Showdown. And if y'all don't play Hunt Showdown, like, one, I get it. It's stressful. But two, you should play Hunt Showdown if you, like, really like being stressed out and having games that are spooky. Um, or Cowboys. Or Cowboys. Just saying. If I, yeah, if I, at the beginning of this episode, talked about that, like, cowboy movie marathon and painting and you went, boy, howdy. Yeah, you should just play Hunt Showdown. It's a great time. Um... But, you know, like, you're shooting at each other with your minis and you're charging. And, like, your minis are very cool. They could be, like, witches or shapeshifters. Like, some of them could be monstrous themselves. But then, on the table, sometimes entirely randomly, will appear a monster. Sometimes, not so bad. Other times, it is rampaging. And it will activate and attack both you and your opponent's hunters, slaughtering you both. And it's such a fun little mechanic to inject that sort of chaos into a war game that's already a little hectic. And it's so flavorful and so thematic that I think it could fit into almost anything else that you play. Um, it's just the idea of like, ha, ah, yeah, I'm shooting you over the top of this ridge. Oh no, you're returning fire. All right, time to pull swords and battle. Saber rattle. And then, you know, oh God, werewolf. We're both getting eaten. Um, it's ugh, delightful, especially in a skirmish game where there's not a whole lot of models to track that bit of chaos that could overturn an entire game just feels wonderful. And, uh, even if you don't play a game where like a neutral monster happens and attacks you, uh, you best believe you can take this mechanic and put it into narrative games in any system you play. Any system. Like... As John was saying, if we did Legend of the Five Rings, you could bet there would be a spooky Oni that would storm that battlefield and attack both of us indiscriminately. Or maybe you're playing Age of Sigmar in the realm of beasts and like a giant monster randomly comes onto the field and attacks people back and forth because you're in the realm of beasts and beasts occur. If you're playing... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, like Horus Heresy or 40k, you could do similar things uh, where like monsters or environmental effects are happening with a different skin on that idea. It's just a good time. Um, and I'd love to see more of it. And I'm so glad that it exists in this little indie game that I really think is so fun. And uh, y'all should give it a try if you haven't. What about you, John? You got another? You got a, a final, a third? My final doesn't have to do with like the game mechanics. Um, my final is games that make you think during list building phase, we like mm -hmm. to call it, like when you're building your list for the game mm -hmm. in a way that isn't like normal, right? Like in 40k, you're like, okay, I'm going to make the best combos with like these units. They buff these units to have this buff and then like make this little aura bubble death star thing, right? Or... Mm -hmm use this stratagem or like take these units to get this many command points to do this thing, this stratagem. I'm talking about like in star Wars Legion where you have to take a commander that you might take because it provides like a morale buff to keep your guys where you need them while also being cheap enough to allow you to purchase like cards. Right. Yeah. So yeah. A more, they give you some other benefit, not just murder dude. Right. 
Like, I love characters that are, are included in a game or units are included in a game that allow you to influence the game that can affect your list building in ways that is not just, I take the dude with the big sword, mm-hmm. or I take the dude who can cast seven spells, or I take the unit that is, I can just bring 40 of, and they're, it's annoying to have to kill them. Like, I like non... Like, like utility units. Like, I like a game that incentivizes bringing utility, not just bringing damage and invulnerability to damage mm-hmm. and movement. Like, actual utility. Um, I think that's something that we've slowly lost with uh, some of the more modern war games. Because a lot of it tends to be like rocket tag, where it's like I shoot my bazooka at this guy. And he shoots me with his bazooka, and whichever one doesn't jump quick enough in this Halo 3 map dies. And uh, it can feel weird sometimes. And hopefully you both have a good time when one of you dies, but not always. Yeah. And like, a lot, and that, that ties into just card mechanics in general. Like, you technically have them in 40k with stratagems, where like, you can get the stratagem cards, but it's not the same. It's not. Like building a hand of cards that are your actions your opponent sees that you can use is really cool yeah in a very limited way like it's a very limited resource that i think is super interesting to play with like Uh, i think the game like i think that the game would be a lot more interesting is if during the command phase you had to just pick three cards that you can use and like for the rest of the turn you can only use those three stratagems we'll use as an example and you and your opponent to pick take turns picking stratagems on each other. Or what if you only got access to like one of those card options if you brought a hero that is less useful on the field, but rather is a logistician and brings a super useful stratagem card as an option? Yeah, like th- those kinds of things, which are just genuinely more interesting than I took this guy because he gives me a warlord trait that lets me do this weird combo that probably wasn't intentional and it'll get faq in three weeks yeah it's a thing i like that about legion like you set up your little hand and sometimes you're bringing a hero just to get access to some of their cards uh and i i don't know it's a fun little consideration and it just gives you more options and the more the merrier but i mean yeah, but i'm a nerd because i love card games and war games yeah, much it, like legend of the five rings a acclaimed card game acclaimed by me and an acclaimed soon-to-be war game, I say, hopefully. We're going to have to say, do a what-if episode of what if they did turn Legend of the Five Rings into a war game. What should it be like? God, for uh, April Fool's Day, we're going to have to like make a little three-minute teaser of us playing a quote-unquote Legend of the Five Rings war game. I, I was about to say, like, if you thought that that, that, that episode's an April Fool's Day episode, nah, that's like a week from now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're going to finish one of those books and be like, hey, oh, you, but for real though, you want to do an episode about what if Legend of the Five Rings was like a Warhams? I mean, we do have an episode idea where it is what franchises should have war games that don't have war games. Um, I don't think that's a bad choice for one. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But... Uh, for y'all out there, if you've made it this far in the episode, one, we want to thank you, but two, as we said earlier, this is a huge topic because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of mechanics out there, many that we've probably never even seen. So we want to ask y'all like, what mechanics do you really, really enjoy from war games? 
that we didn't mention here because we only got to mention a couple. Especially stuff that's kind of obscure that we might not even know exists. We'd love to hear about it. Social media is open. Twitter, Instagram. Feel free to send them over. And if you want to try to pitch your friends on a grassroots movement to make a Legend of the Five Rings uh, tabletop war game, I guess share the video with them. I'd appreciate it. Or if you're trying to like signal boost this so you could get the eight Legend of the Five Rings fans in existence to know that this exists uh, so we could just start a tabletop game together. That'd be cool. I'm sure we're scattered all across the globe. Um, and until next time, we... Well, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide, Kentucky Fried. We'll see you on the next one. Thinking about Samurai. <laughs> samurai. Mall Ninjas. Ayo.